and that's the housing situation in our country and the high cost of real estate in Canada. Some call it the housing crisis. Well, the Liberal government uh, recently said they have a plan to spend billions of dollars. Why? They're going to increase housing in Canada, increase the supply. Thinking is, you know, you increase supply, prices come down. Basic economics, right? But what if they're looking at the wrong side of the supply and demand equation. We're going to chat right now with Steve Pomeroy, who is an industry professor in the Department of Health and Aging and Society at McMaster University. Steve, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Nice to be here, Steve. So, a really interesting article that you penned, uh, putting forward the idea that the real issue, if we want to get serious about this, uh, with affordable housing in Canada, it isn't supply at all. We should be taking a look at demand, Right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't go to, as far as say it's not supply at all. Sure, there is a yeah. little bit of supply issue there, but the, the key driver of what's forcing up prices is not so much the lack of supply, it's more the, the excess of amount of demand and not so much the quantity of demand as the quality of demand, the type of folks who are actually pushing the prices up in the marketplace. Okay, now for, for a guy like me who knows very little about this kind of stuff, I do know enough about economics to know that supply and demand work together. So explain to me what you're talking about here. How I mean, if demand is high... And, su- and supply is not a big issue, how do the prices go up? I mean, wh- just basically outline your premise for us. Yeah, so basically what you have, I mean, we, we're a country with 14 million households. Uh, we sell about 700,000 homes a year between exist- you know, new, new homes being built and existing resales. So that's about 4 or 5% of the total housing stock. So it doesn't take very many people to actually make the market, so we're. Um, and, uh, you know, of those folks who are buying homes, three-quarters of them are people who already have a home, and they're simply trading up to a bigger home, or in some cases maybe downsizing as well. But in either case, if they've been sitting on that property for a number of years, depending where they are in Canada, they've accumulated significant equity, significant wealth. And that's really helping them to, to buy the new home with very little uh, new expenditure. And today's very, very low mortgage rates, which is a big part of the demand issue, is money is so cheap, uh, you can stretch you know, a limited amount of payment uh, to a, a much higher price. So the two kind of things happening. One is, you know, well, there's three things happening. One is, first of all, it's a small group of people. Secondly, they have a whole pile of cash in their drawer, so to speak, as a result of accumulated depreciation for as long as they've held their previous house. And we have very low interest rates, making the amount of payments they want to make stretch a lot further. And all those things add up to enabling that few, people, few number of people to actually push prices higher and higher um, with, with no real breaks on it. So, how do we tackle that? I mean, how do you go about changing that? Well, that, this is, I mean, the, the political solution is to promise more supply. Yes, yeah. Um, and, but I think, you know, the reason they're doing that is they, they don't like the other solution, which is to suppress this quality of demand. If, if people have too much money, and, and they're such a, you know, they, don't, they don't want to raise interest rates, because interest rates will uh, affect the broader economy and, and, and commercial borrowing and business borrowing and industry and those types of things. So that wouldn't really be a, a positive thing for the broader economy. Uh, it would be great if we had a, a separate circuit of mortgage financing just for the housing system, that we could have higher interest rates for housing than we do in, in the broader economy. Uh, that would then, then limit the amount of extra money people would have. 
Um, but if, if one of the big things, and, and the point I'm trying to make in the article, is that uh, these many households are all trading up their appreciated uh, equity, and which is essentially a win for gain for sleeping in their bed at night, uh, if we confiscated some of that extra uh, gain, uh, they'd have less money to bid the prices up. That means attacking the, the sacred cow of the non-taxation of capital gains on a principal residence. Uh, that's not, not a thing that's going to get a politician many votes. Nope. Uh, you, you're not going to hear about an election. Um, so it's, uh, it's, not good, it's not good politics, but it's actually good policy. Um, yeah, I mean, that would certainly make it... A, because you're right. I mean, if you're, when, when you're talking about the soaring price of real estate in Canada, that means somebody who bought a house 10 years ago has seen massive gains in the value of their property. So why wouldn't they trade up? It makes perfect sense. Yep, that's right. And, and, and they believe that gain is theirs and the government shouldn't take it away and they shouldn't tax that capital gain. But, you know, the gain was really, they didn't do anything to earn it. It was just because we had low interest rates and the Bank of Canada was managing inflation and keeping interest rates low. So they're the beneficiary, to some extent, of, of, of public policy. So why wouldn't, you know, on the, you know, the broader, broader society share that gain or, or, or reduce that individual gain and basically redistribute it to, to give the government some money to help folks who can't actually afford to get into the market and they're getting squeezed at the bottom end of the market? Uh, one of the points you made in your article I thought was just fascinating, and I hadn't thought of it before, is we hear a lot about densification and infill, and that will increase supply, and that will get people will deal with urban sprawl. But you sort of break it down. When we do that and take one house and create two houses, we're actually really, really driving up the prices. Absolutely. I mean, what, what you tend to see in you know, municipal planning policies all across the country are trying to contain sprawl and put in you know, growth boundaries, that kind of thing, which is, is good for the environment, good for climate uh, control. Um, but it does mean that you know, we, the development we do do is in the existing city, so we tend to knock down existing homes. Yeah. Builders try to find sort of a, the lower price uh, homes, so, you know, a little old bungalow on, on a bigger lot that they can go and acquire. Um, and, uh, they, but, you know, let's say, I don't know what the prices are there in Calgary, but I would imagine in an existing order bungalow, you're probably looking at about half a million dollars. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, they buy that, they, they basically subdivide the property or they may even just rebuild on that property, but they'll rebuild the house if they paid 500,000 for the house and knocking down, they're building a new one at today's construction cost, 300 bucks a square foot. They're going to be selling a new one for a million bucks. Um, so they just d- doubled the average price of housing on that particular lot. Uh, if you do that across the market, you, you, the only thing that that kind of supply can do is actually cause the average house price to go up. That's just simple math. Uh, so this notion that by, by adding new homes, uh, we'll actually reduce prices, uh, statistically just doesn't stack up. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it's common sense. So increasing supply, I think it's $4 billion that the government wants to spend to try and increase supply. Ultimately, will that just make the situation worse? I mean, there's just more money, more housing, and more opportunity for the prices to go up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does depend. I mean, this does take some precise policymaking. Uh, if they simply, you know, the argument being made is municipal planning departments are too slow. If we basically just give them a bit of a kick and make them speed up or give them incentive with some money uh, and we'll get more supply coming out the door. If, if they're basically you know, supporting more of the kind of redevelopment we just talked about, it really won't help to address the affordability issue. If they took that $4 billion and, and targeted the low end of the market, so we're going to actually provide incentives to municipalities uh, to um, we'll even provide some subsidies 
for affordable housing, some non-profit housing, some inclusionary zoning mechanisms, and we'll use this fund to offset some of the impacts on developers. If it's a very targeted response that produces moderately priced housing, then you could have a positive impact, you know, even when it's moderately priced for the entry-level buyer or it's a you know, moderately priced new, new rental kind of housing. Or indeed, it could be actually deeply affordable uh, housing for folks trying to exit homelessness. If if they target those areas, it could be beneficial. But if it's a broad brush that simply tries to generate supply writ large, I don't think it'll have much benefit. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting take. Thanks so much for your time, Steve. I appreciate it. Okay, Shane, nice talking to you. You bet. That's Steve Pomeroy, who is an industry professor at the Department of Health, Aging, and Society at McMaster University. And he makes a point. I mean, take a look. I know infill is a big issue and has been for a long time in Calgary and in Edmonton. And if you live in a neighborhood where they're doing infill, you know how it works, right? They knock down that four or $500,000 house, build two of those new skinnies. And what do those things sell for? A million bucks, right? So you're increasing the supply of housing and you're increasing the average price of housing. So that's not doing what it's supposed to. And we got a text from somebody saying it's pretty simple. If you have immigration levels at 250000 a year, houses, condos, etc., can't be built fast enough. Now, that's not true. I'm going to tell you, here's some stats, okay? Nationally, between 2006 and 2016, okay, so in 10 years, Canada added 1.636 million households, okay? So families or, or people living in houses. That's how much the increase in population needing housing was. 1.636 million. You know how many new homes we built over that time period? 1.919 million. So we are actually uh, 30,000 extra homes every year compared to the increase in the number of households looking for these new homes. And yet the price of a new home just continues to skyrocket. So, you know, to say that we can't keep up, there's not enough homes. Yeah, there is. There is maybe some areas, I mean, you're talking about Canada writ large. Sure, there's going to be differences here, there. There's going to be different pockets where the, the, the stressors are a little bit different. I get it. But overall in our country, we are building more homes than households we are creating. So the supply is part of the equation. But the other part of it is he's right. Cheap interest rates and the fact that if you bought a home 10 years ago and it's doubled in value, of course, You're going to upgrade that home or you're going to move into a new home and that's going to push up the prices further because the demand is supercharged.